over all fear. Would you surrender that to him now in this moment, church? Oh, when darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to seal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. You believe these words. I won't be shaken. Would you tell now that my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love? My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand. 
your promise to now in this moment. Oh, I surrender all. Yes, church. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender ourselves before you surrender. Church, we lay it all down at his feet here now. You 
power and the freedom that is in surrender. Oh, wholehearted surrender. We tell the church, it's all to Jesus I surrender. I give myself to To Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I surrender now. I feel the sacred flame. Oh yes. Oh the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to from your whole heart today as we sing those words again. Oh, I surrender. Would you tell him from your heart? He hears your voice. Oh, I surrender. Yes, there's freedom here in surrender. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Church, would you be seated this morning? as we prepare together to receive from Jesus the gift of communion. Those of you who are online with us in this moment, I think there was a notice earlier, you want to gather those communion elements. Those of us who are here, if this kit is a little bit unfamiliar with you, it's kind of a two-part thing. So you peel back the top, and there you'll find the bread. And then there's a second sort of lid, and you peel that back, and there you'll find the fruit of the vine. What a beautiful thing it is to surrender to Jesus, to say, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my Redeemer, you're my hope. Part of that surrendering is allowing him to give you his grace. The Bible says that at the Last Supper, Jesus went to wash the feet of the disciples, and he got to Peter, and Peter said, Lord, uh, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I need to wash yours. I need to be the servant in this relationship. Jesus said, Peter, you have to let me do this for you. You have to humble yourself and let me do this for you. Because if you don't, you separate yourself from me. See, there's a humbling that comes with communion. The Bible says that when we prepare to receive communion, we ought to examine our hearts to see that we're receiving it in the right spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of humility. Will you let Jesus wash your feet? right here and now in this moment. The Bible says our Lord on that day he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Broken for you. He said, take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Bible says afterwards he lifted up the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood this is me washing your feet forever this is me helping you to humble yourself so that you can know my joy he said this cup when you drink it 
Drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Lord Jesus, this morning we recognize that you are present in our midst. You said whenever we gathered together, you'd be there in our midst. And Lord, we humble ourselves to let you wash our feet, to receive from you that grace which is eternal. Jesus, this morning we thank you for it. And we remember what you have done. And we make it our ambition to go and live the same way, just like you have. Help us to do that, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship, church? Praise the rise, Christ. 
is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. Good morning. If you didn't catch what that was, it's Financial Peace University. Uh, It's a class that we are beginning next week. It's practical nuts and bolts to get your financials under control. It's going to be led by Luke and Danielle. They're standing over there. They don't like to be the center of attention, so don't look over there. All right. Uh, Man, if you guys attend that class, whatever you do, do not tell Dave Ramsey that I have a car payment. If you don't understand that joke... Financial Peace University is for you. Uh, Tomorrow night is band... Thank you. I appreciate the courtesy laugh. Oh, man. Tomorrow night is Band of Brothers. It's just for guys here in the sanctuary. It's going to be tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. We just come and have a meal and share a a quick message, and it's just guys getting together and, and learning about the Lord. Next Sunday... October 3rd at 6 p.m. is our next-gen worship night. If you are in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, if you want to come and enjoy a worship night, uh, you're more than welcome to here in the sanctuary. And then finally tonight, it's finally here, the annual business meeting, uh, 6 p.m. If you are a member here at MRCC, we would love for you to join us. I uh, made some comment in first service about what the annual business meeting was, and it was wrong. So Pastor Greg is going to explain exactly what it is here. 
I sure appreciate Tyler's fake enthusiasm for the annual business meeting. Do you appreciate that? That was what he was sharing with us. But no, it is tonight, 6 o'clock, and um, everybody's invited. If you consider this your home church, we'd love to have you come join us for about 45 minutes. What we'll be talking about tonight is unique and different. Um, normally, our annual business meeting is in the spring. COVID's messed that up the last two years. Um, and normally, we elect deacons at the annual business meeting. We won't be doing that tonight. The next time we have elections is in this coming spring. But what I am looking forward to sharing with you tonight is the fruit of the work of four people in our church who have poured an enormous amount of time and energy and skill into bringing us as a church to the point where we're getting ready to build a children's wing just north of the sanctuary here that will be completely devoted to ministering to kids. And so what we'll have tonight are drawings of those plans, pictures of what that building will look like, an opportunity for Q&A about the process of moving towards that construction. You know, before all this virus stuff happened, we were averaging about 250 kids on a Sunday morning. We're climbing back towards those numbers. And so, you know, in God's church, the kids come first. And so the first thing we want to build is more space for them. So we're going to be talking about that tonight as well. Like I said, it'll be about 45 minutes. We'll meet at six here in the sanctuary. No child care tonight for this particular event. Young adults will still be happening down the hall, but um, I want to invite you to come and join us because I'm eager to share with you those pictures, those plans, and to celebrate those who've worked so incredibly hard. You can't imagine how hard to bring us to this point. So good stuff tonight uh, for the annual business meeting. Tomorrow, as you know, for Band of Brothers, that's a dinner. Uh, we provide dinner. happens at 6.30. Fellas, bring a friend, no cost, uh, of course. Uh, always get to hear a great story about courage and where it comes from. We're going to be talking about that as well tomorrow. Night. Grab your Bible if you would, open it to Colossians chapter 1. You'll remember that we said it's important if we want to mature as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we grow to the point where we take God's word on its own terms. It's well and great to talk about topical things, marriage and family and work and so on. But ultimately, God wants to grow us to the point where we receive his word in the context he gave it, verse by verse, just the way he shared it, so that we can hear his whole heart. And we're in the middle of of doing that this fall with Colossians. Last two weeks we've been doing that. This morning we're in chapter 1 of Colossians beginning with verse 24. And you've probably noticed that these days, the last 8-10 years, our world has developed an intense fascination with superheroes. Anybody notice that? You know, when I was a kid, if you'd have told me that all those comic books were going to be blockbuster movies, I'd have laughed in your face. But here we are uh, in a world obsessed with superheroes. And let me, let me ask you a question this morning. Once upon a time, it was cowboys, right? You think, well, previous generations didn't do that. Oh, yeah, we did. That's Bonanza and Gunsmoke and all that stuff. And then for a while, it was police officers and soldiers. And right now, it happens to be superheroes. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you could choose to be any one of the superheroes, which one would you pick? If you could choose to be anyone, Marvel, DC, doesn't matter, some off-brand, doesn't matter. If you could choose to be one, which one would you be? Show of hands, who would choose to be Superman? Raise your hand. You're boring, Ty, because whoever Superman is just missing. All right, Superman, I'm kidding. I'm messing with Ty. He's a friend. Who would choose the Hulk? No Hulks, all right. Yeah, we got a couple Hulks in back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would choose Iron Man? Who would choose nobody? Raise your hand here. I'm starting to wonder. Who would choose Spider-Man, right? Okay, we got some Batmans, I'm sure. We got some Wonder Women, yeah. If you could choose to be any superhero, which would you be? It's kind of a fun question. You want to get a conversation going among the younger generation, just throw that question out there. I remember when our son was about 10 years old and uh, these programs started to come, online programs, where you could actually go and make a superhero and then go and have adventures doing good, rescuing people. And Isaiah was about 10 years old, 9 years old, somewhere in there. And so I thought, oh, this would be good daddy's son time. So we, we got the program and, uh, and we made our heroes. And Isaiah, being that age and being a boy, he made a pretty predictable hero. His name was X9. He was about 10 foot tall. He was a giant robot. He weighed like 1,000 pounds, shot missiles and lasers, could fly and all this kind of stuff. Pretty, pretty much what you'd expect. I just wanted to mess with him. So my hero was this little frail old guy with a giant beard, weighed about 100 pounds, wore a top hat and an undertaker suit, 
And he was called the Talkinator. And his power was that when we, he talked, the bad guys would fall asleep. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, just all fall asleep. And so together, the Talkinator and X9 would have adventures. And now that he's grown, we remember them fondly. And we have a good time with it. But if you could be a super, if you could have superpowers, what would yours be? I ask that question for this reason. The truth is that we all already have powers. And God has called us to use our powers to help others, to become heroic. Maybe, maybe you're saying, I, I don't have any powers, Pastor Greg. What are you talking about? Ask a child in the third world if you have any powers. And she will give a very different answer. Ask a homeless man if you have any powers. And he will give a very different answer. Ask the sick or the lonely if you have any powers. And they'll give a different answer. Uh, no less an authority on suffering than Mother Teresa, who spent a lifetime ministering to the poor and the sick in the slums of Calcutta in India. She was asked, what is the greatest form of suffering, in her opinion, having spent her lifetime helping people who were? She said, the greatest suffering is loneliness. And if only we understood what power we have to alleviate loneliness. So when you give your attention to someone, you are dignifying them, you are valuing them, you are exercising a superpower. She was right about that. Ask your neighbor who is new in town, in our small town, and doesn't know anybody if you have any powers. They'll give you a different answer than you might guess. Ask the person who's new in church, like you once were, like I once was, if you have any powers, and they'll give a different answer. You understand where I'm going with this. You and I have powers. The question isn't whether we have them or not. The question is, what are we doing with them? And the reality is that it's so easy to feel sorry for ourselves and to see what we aren't instead of what we are. And this morning, God wants to talk to us about the powers that we do have. Whenever I think about this subject, I remember a woman, her name was Debbie. She was part of the church that Ron and I pastored in Moscow, Idaho for seven years. And, and she had some challenges in that period of time. Came to the end of those seven years and we were having a farewell picnic and hugging and loving each other and saying, see you on the other side as God called us elsewhere. And I'll always remember Debbie coming up to me at the picnic with tears streaming down her face. She said, Pastor Greg, I have to tell you something before you go. I said, yeah, what, Debbie? She said, well, you remember about three years ago when my husband left me for another woman? I said, yeah, Debbie, I remember. It was a tough time, tough time. She said, yeah, it was. You have no idea how difficult. She says, as a matter of fact, during that year after that happened, I was so hopeless. I was so lonely. She said that there was more than one time that I thought about just ending my life. And she said, but in the middle of that, there was one thing that I knew for sure. And that was that every Sunday that I came to church, you were going to come up to me with a smile and give me a hug. She says, you don't know this with tears streaming down her face, but your hugs carried me that year. I remember standing there and going, ah, most people, when I hug them, say, why don't you use deodorant, you know, or something like that. <laughs> she was feeling very different. And in that moment, friends, I learned that I have important powers and that I need to use them. I need to give them because they make such a difference to other people. God wants to talk to us, to you, to me, to us about this reality. And, and that's what's on Paul's mind here in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. Let's listen to what he says, then we'll break it down together. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. The apostle says this. Remember, in, in the first 23 verses, we saw this the last two weeks, he says, hey, Jesus is the key to the God code. We test everything that somebody says about God by, by Jesus. He's the definition of who the Father is. And we can identify falsehoods and we can identify truths by just saying, is that what Jesus said? Is that what Jesus did? Now he shifts gears. And in verse 24, he says this. He says, now 
I rejoice in what was suffered for you and what Jesus did for you on the cross, what we just celebrated at communion. He says, I rejoice in that, in what was suffered for you. The Christian faith is different from any other faith because we celebrate suffering. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh, my own body, my own life, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? We're going to find out in just a moment. And I do this for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant. The Greek word is doulos, very strong word. It literally means slave. I have chosen to become its slave, its servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, to the church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, that's a mouthful, so let's pause for a moment and take this in, understand what God is saying here. First of all, notice, friends, I'm sure it probably leaped out at you already, notice the reverence that the apostle has for the church. He says, I fill up in my body what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And I have become its servant. I have become its slave. Let me call your attention to that because the temptation, the natural tendency is to think of whatever local church you call home as sort of a franchise outpost, right? Like the local McDonald's, the local Walmart. But God sees his church very differently. He sees us gathered together, us sharing fellowship as literally the presence of Jesus in the world, the body of Christ. And he sees each and every one of us as a part of that body coming together to manifest Jesus in the world. That's heavy. And yet the scripture repeatedly emphasizes it. We see it in 1 Corinthians. We see it in Hebrews. We see it in Philippians. We see it again and again throughout God's word that the church is the body of Christ, a family of brothers and sisters. And in fact... The church is a test of my heart. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to how the Apostle John talked about the very same thing over in 1 John chapter 4. Here's what he said, verse 20. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And very often we say to ourselves, I love God, I love Jesus, I'm less of a fan of his gang, of the people that follow him. We talk about organized religion as if we want disorganized religion. But the idea is that we think of our relationship with God as being separate from our relationship with one another. But Paul says it's not the case. John says it's not true. Anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In fact, in that passage, Paul says, if you hear somebody saying that, you know they're a liar. They're just pretending. They're just engaged in sentimentality. This is heavy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, the Apostle Paul talks about what's called the judgment of believers. There's the judgment of the whole world, which you and I are already free from because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the judgment unto condemnation or unto heaven. But then there's the judgment of believers. And the judgment of believers is a judgment that we will all go to where we will be rewarded to a lesser or greater degree for how we've lived our lives. And Paul says that some, some people are going to enter heaven, literally, like a naked man escaping from a burning house. Wow. What an image. Why? Well, if you read the passage, you'll see because they never took the church seriously. When I say church, I don't mean MRCC. I don't mean Wabash. I don't mean a particular church. I mean the body of Christ, whatever local body we call home. God intends for us to see it as his presence in our lives, as his family. And only when we recognize that can we grow up in him, as we're going to see in just a moment. 
I remember one of the most shameful moments of my life, if I can share with you, I wish this hadn't happened, but it did, was when I was going to Bible college, Northwest University, preparing for ministry 35 years ago. And I played on the soccer team. I was a captain on the team. And our team lost a lot. Okay, We got beat all the time. And the reason we lost so much, we were the only non-scholarship team in our league. It was tough. And all that stress of losing was hard. I remember one day, in the midst of a long stretch of losing, we were at practice and tempers flared. A couple of guys got into a fist fight in the middle of practice. And I remember standing there and going, we're supposed to be a Bible college and we're getting in fist fights with each other. We're all supposed to be preparing for the ministry and instead we're fighting on the, on the field. And I said to myself, that's it, I quit, I'm out. I said to the team, I said to the coach, I quit, I'm done. And I left the field and went up the hill to my apartment thinking to myself, oh, a bunch of losers. I got up to my apartment and the only person there was God. <laughs> he sat down at the kitchen table with me and he said, nice, Greg. Brilliant leadership you exercise there today. When the going gets tough, Greg quits. <laughs> you know. And he said, I received you by grace. I gave you my love when you didn't earn it. And he said, the only thing you can really do wrong is not get in a fight, but quit. <sighs> really, God, you got to, I want to watch a soap opera instead so I don't have to hear this, you know. But I heard it. And then I went back down the field and apologized to the entire team and to the coach. And I said, guys, I was wrong. I am so sorry. I was completely wrong. Now, I tell that story for this reason. Sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing with our local church. We get so frustrated. We say, they're not meeting my expectations. It should be A, B, C. Yeah, it should be. But the key isn't what it should be, but whether you can love her as she is. The key is not what it should be, but do you recognize that the church is the body of Christ, that it is the family of God? I was talking with a woman recently who knows Jesus as her Savior, but she confessed to me, she says, I've just lost interest in going to church. I said, really? Tell me. She said, well, I just, I have more fun with a few of my friends in the backyard just talking about God. I said, I get it. I get it. It's always easy to hang out with the people who are just like you and talk about the things you agree on. But that's not love. That's not how a marriage prospers. That's not how a family thrives. Instead, those things prosper and thrive because we love each other precisely when we don't see a reason to, except for the grace of God. And Paul feels that for the church at Colossae. And because he feels that, notice what he says. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my body what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. In other words, I choose to suffer like Jesus did for the church. If I could give my life for her, I would. I choose to be a living sacrifice for her day in and day out, giving my heart to her, my whole life as a slave to her. Why? Because of the joy that flows from it. Hang with me for just a second. The greatest rejoicing in life, friends, hear me now, comes from paying the highest price. It doesn't come from avoiding hardship. It doesn't come from evading and successfully escaping sacrifice. The greatest joy in life comes from sacrifice. It comes from those moments when we choose to step up and sacrifice on behalf of somebody else. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that's why Jesus went to the cross, for the joy set before him. You see, church, one of the things we got to learn is that the joy that we're hungry for doesn't come from escaping hardship. It doesn't come from eluding sacrifice. It doesn't come from becoming healthy and wealthy and independent so I don't have to hurt or serve or sacrifice for somebody else. It comes from doing those things. Think of a woman giving birth. She's not a happy camper. Somebody say amen. But when it's over, she's filled with joy. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 16, verse 21. He said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. 
Yeah, I remember when I worked in the emergency room and sometimes on a payday Friday night or a, a full moon weekend, the ER would just go nuts. I mean, you would be filthy and exhausted as people came in having injured themselves and one another, sometimes in the dumbest, stupidest ways. And at the end of your shift, you would be filthy and exhausted and grinning because you knew what you had done mattered. You knew you'd spend the last 8, 10, 12, 14 hours helping people in a meaningful way. can't tell you how many times I walked home from the ER thinking to myself, that was a night well spent. That was a day worth doing. You see, friends, joy comes from sacrifice. Jesus knows that. That's why he went to the cross. Paul knows that. That's why he says he's made himself a servant of the church. Some people are so afraid of sacrifice that they cut themselves off from joy. They spend a lifetime trying to become so financially independent, so health independent, so secure and impregnable and safe. And then they arrive at that spot and wonder why something's missing. This is what Jesus talked to the rich young ruler about. He said, hey, you've forgotten how to sacrifice. That's the one thing you're missing. And that's where the greatest joy is found. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross. He made that sacrifice because of joy. The scripture tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. Real joy isn't found in escaping sacrifice. It's found in choosing it. I, I asked us a moment ago which superhero you want to be. Here's the thing. Whichever one you pick, they all get beat up. Have you ever noticed this? It just goes with the territory. It's part of the job description. If you're a superhero, you sometimes get beat up. Even Superman sometimes gets beat up. So why do they do it? Because it's worth doing. Because the sacrifice is worth making. My favorite superhero is Captain America. Most of you know that. And Rhonda turned to me one time in about the fifth movie and said, he always gets beat up. I said, yeah, he knows that's the price that you pay for being a superhero. Now, please, in case anybody's wondering, I know it's all fake, okay? All right, you get it. But, but the idea remains. So let me ask you this morning, who are you sacrificing for? And let me take that a step further because maybe the first thing that pops into your heart, your head is your wife or your husband or your kids or grandkids, maybe a best friend and those are all beautiful things. But then God says, hey, Greg, real joy is found in taking it even a step further and sacrificing for whatever church body, whatever local fellowship you call home. When Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, for the church, that's what he's talking about, the joy that comes from it. And what Paul means is that he's continually following Jesus in hardships and in difficulties on behalf of others, and we're invited to discover the same joy. Now, I remember, like probably many of you do, when your, your first child was born, you know, when little Isaiah was born into our, our home, I remember sitting in that hospital room holding him for the first time, and this unexpected thing came over me. All of a sudden, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for feeding and clothing and protecting and disciplining this kid for 18 years. Oh, if it were only 18 years, for a lot of years, <laughs> right? I'm responsible for this. And I remember sitting there going, ah, can I exchange him? Can I turn him back in? You know, what? Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, my life isn't just about me taking care of me or even me and my wife taking care of each other. No, now we got this little poopy thing. And he's going to demand a lot. I remember just being totally intimidated. I, I, I can't be the only one. I remember saying, whoa, I guess this means I'm an adult now or I need to start acting like one. But you know what? For all the fear in that moment, now, 27 years later, I look back and I go, that was worth doing. I did it. I made all the sacrifices. You know, there's still sacrifice, but you hear what I'm saying. 
fed, clothed, fathered, loved, forgave, was patient with. That ah, feels good now. I'm so glad that I made the sacrifice. See, that's what God wants us to discover. When we do, then we don't hide our superpowers. We use them. And there's no other road to real joy. Let me share a song lyric with you from Carolyn Ahrens and her song, Seize the Day. Listen to what she's saying. She says, I know a doctor, a fine young physician. He left a six-figure job for a mission position. Now he's healing the sick in an African clinic. Catch this. He works in the dirt and writes home to the cynics. <laughs> he works in poverty in need, in the dirt, bereft of all the privileges of being a doctor in the West. And he's the one writing home to encourage the cynical. <laughs> Why? Because he's discovered the power and the joy of sacrifice. God wants us to discover that. Now, here's the thing. As we turn the corner here this morning, having powers can make you a superhero. It can also make you a supervillain. <laughs> And over in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about that. Listen to what he says, Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Jesus is t talking and he says, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, of mismanaging. So he, the rich man, called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. He's going to fire him. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? The man said, 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400 this is crime. This is crooked. This is what we would call today white-collar cooking the books. Why is Jesus telling me this story? And then the, the manager asked the second man, how much do you owe? And the man said, I owe him a 1,000 bushels of wheat. So he told the man, take your bill and make it 800. Friends, don't, don't misunderstand. This is criminal behavior. The guy is being crooked, and Jesus is telling me a story about it. Why? What's going on? And as if that weren't hard enough, then Jesus kind of wraps up the story by saying this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Wait, what? <laughs> I remember being a new believer and reading this for the first time and going, uh, what? This doesn't fit. What are you saying, Jesus? I don't get what you're talking about here. By the way, this is why you need to be a grown-up if you want to know God's word. <laughs> He's not always going to talk to you like a child. He wants you to grow up. Learn to understand things like irony. Learn to understand genres of literature, all that kind of stuff. At the end of verse 8, Jesus turns it around into verse 9 and tells us why he's telling this story. Here's what he says. Listen. He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd and smart, clever, capable, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And then he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see, people who don't know God know how to get ahead in the world. They know how to get noticed on social media. They know how to get likes. They know how to get attention. They know how to get fame. They know how to get reputation. They know how to get earthly power, and they work at it all the time. They manipulate relationships. They take advantage of one another. They know how to get ahead. That's what the dishonest manager's doing. He knows how to get ahead. He knows how to cover his backside. And Jesus says, or the master in the story commends him because he knows how to get around the world. See, the, the funny thing in the story is that the master is just as crooked as the manager. But Jesus' point is, why aren't my people smart in how to get ahead in my kingdom? And then he says, use your powers, your talents, your privileges, your worldly wealth. Use it to gain eternal reward. Hey, friends, newsflash, you and I are all going out of here. And if Jesus is our Savior, we're going to heaven. 
where some will be rewarded more than others, your Bible tells you. And Jesus says, hey, pay attention, (laughs) Greg, pay attention. Seek to earn my reward. It's forever. All the other ones are just passing. They're just temporary. They lead ultimately nowhere. See, here's the thing. Even though we want to be heroes, we often run from the everyday battle of being faithful to our marriages, persevering with our kids, governing our tongues, and giving our whole hearts to God in whatever church we call home. And as a consequence, we miss out on eternal rewards. Remember when I worked for a car dealership in the service department, I was a service writer, if you know what that is, an advisor, and then we had a whole bunch of technicians who worked in the shop. The technicians were all smart, skilled, capable guys who could take cars apart and put them back together with their eyes closed. And one of the things that I learned as time went by is that every one of those technicians in the shop, every one of them, had deeply oil-stained hands, (laughs) And they spent all day, every day, with their hands stuck in people's engines, yours, mine, and everybody that we served. And as a consequence, that oil and that transmission fluid and that antifreeze and all that just stained their hands. But I remember also hearing them talk about how it was a badge of honor because all those stains on their hands were there because they had helped other people. They had served other people. Single mothers whose cars broke down. Elderly people on limited incomes and everybody in between. They had helped them with their cars a thousand times over. And I remember becoming self-conscious because my hands weren't oil-stained. Because I wasn't like them. It's something like that that Jesus is saying here. He's inviting us to get oily hands, to get dirty hands because of our serving. Let me share a story and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. In his book, Your Land is Beautiful, Alan Patton tells the story of Robert Mansfield, who was the headmaster of a school in South Africa during the worst days of racism and apartheid. And when the school that he led was forbidden by racist school superintendents to play sports against the black schools, he resigned publicly in protest. His best friend said to him, you know, Robert, what this will lead to, you will be beaten up by the white gangs. And Robert gave a reply that his friend never forgot. He said, yes, I know. And then he looked up at the sky and said, but when I go up there, the big judge will say to me, where are your scars? And if I say that I don't have any, he will say to me, you mean you found nothing to suffer for? You mean you found nothing to sacrifice for? My Savior has scars. I want to earn some as well. He said, I could not face that question. And that's the whole thought of the Apostle Paul here in Colossians. He's saying, I don't want to face that question either. So... For the joy set before me, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be there for the body of Christ. He finishes in verses 29 and following by saying this, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending. For who? For the church. For you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Two thoughts. First of all, Paul once pursues with his whole heart the unity and love and fellowship among the believers. And then he says, I don't just do that as if that's an end in itself. He said, no, the full riches of complete understanding of God come from that. That's why I want it, because only then will people really know their God and their maker in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. You see, gang, many of us say, I don't want to be overcommitted. There's some wisdom in that, but being overcommitted is sometimes where we find our joy. In fact, 
The greatest joy is found in sacrifice. So let me finish as we often do in our last five minutes. Here's five things. If you're taking notes, write them down. I'm going to go fast. You know how we end like this. How do you carry this out? How do you take your powers and put them to work and become the superhero you're meant to? Number one, choose your leader. Choose your leader. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You've got to decide who you're trying to please. That's the dishonest manager thing. Are you trying to please the world or are you trying to please your father in heaven? Choose your leader, who you're going to please. Number two, take stock of your powers. You have some. Get in touch with them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Take stock of your powers. How can you contribute? You have opportunities. What will you do with them? Take stock of your powers. Number three, rescue the ones in imminent danger. That's what the superhero does, right? (laughs) Rescues the people on the train. Rescues the people in the building. Rescues the people in the street. Rescue those in imminent danger. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. He said, I tell you the truth, whatever you do for one of the least brothers of mine, you do for me. So often we want to do stuff for great people. God says, oh, no, no, I reward when you do stuff for not great people, the least of these. Watch for people in need. It's what superheroes do. Number four, keep your secret identity. (laughs) Heroes have secret identities, right? They're supposed to. It's on purpose. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 4. He said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father... Your leader, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Yeah, you get the idea. And finally, the last one. Don't be afraid to get beat up. (laughs) Don't be afraid of sacrifice. Sacrifice is the road to joy. All heroes get beat up. But superheroes never really die. They live forever. Even if you think they're dead, Doctor Strange just really took them to another universe and brings them back at the right moment. Yeah, They die on screen. You're like, whatever. It's not dead. They'll be back. Well, it's the same for us. Don't be afraid to get beat up. Sacrifice is the road to joy. And it's when you look back at the sacrifice that you experience the joy. Let me ask you one last time as we close this morning. What are you using your powers for? Who are you using your powers for? Jesus says, I want you to know joy. I want you to know the joy of sacrifice. I want you to know the joy of sacrificing for the local body of Christ, whichever one you call home. You'll find it there. He invites us to do that. About once a year, we do something. That's how we close this morning. You'll find in the seat back in front of you a little card. It's called a we card. Um, those of you who've been around will recognize it. That we card, if, if, if you would be willing this morning to fill that out and just leave it on your seat, we'll pick it up, and then we'll contact you and say, hey, where would you like to serve? We want to get you involved. We want to get you connected. Remember, here at MRCC, we are deeply committed to making sure people don't get burned out. So when you serve, you usually serve once a month. You might notice the worship team's always changing. The kids' church is always changing. The fellow ushers, the security team, all of our stuff is always rotating so that nobody carries all the burden. But together, we sacrifice. You can take your phone and click on that little barcode in the seat in front of you and just touch the connect button and do the same thing. Just leave us a card. I'm inviting you to do that today. We'll be in touch, and then you define where you want to make your sacrifice. That's where joy is found. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example that you set, Jesus. You didn't go to the cross with your teeth clenched, doing your duty, checking a box. You went there for the joy set before you. And it was your spirit that inspired the Apostle Paul to say, oh, I feel it. I fill up in my body the afflictions that still remain. I want to serve God's people. We thank you for the example you've set and the invitation to know your joy. God, deliver us from our fear of sacrifice that we might know your joy. We pray for that this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks again, everybody online who is joining us. We're thrilled. We want to connect with you as well. The same connect button on the website will hook you up in the same way that we've been talking about. 
Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love and friends. Have a great afternoon.